church, sing it out, all you got. haven't figured it out by now, it's Palm Sunday, which means it's the start of Passion Week, which is definitely one of my favorite weeks of the year. And this morning, church, I just wanted to shower him with praise together. Um, I have a passage ready from First Chronicles. Um, and this passage just declares his glory. It declares his kingship. It lifts up thankfulness for what he's done for his gift, his power, um, his protection. And so I just want to speak this out all together this morning, just in worship. So will you speak this out with me? Oh, Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, May you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O oh Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a pressing shadow, a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. Everything we have, he has given us now we are destined for heaven because of what he did on the cross. And so on today, this Palm Sunday, the start of that journey, would you just worship him and praise him for what he's given you, what he's given us?
let worship be on our lips for the rest of our lives, for you are worthy, that our lives would be laid down for you like you laid yours for us. Great are you, our King, our Lord, our Savior. the King of glory. He's coming on the clouds with thunder, and the whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. I see His love. I see His love and mercy. Washing over all our sin, the people sing, the people sing. Hosanna, Hosanna, come on, Hosanna in the highest. Yes, Jesus, you are worthy.
Jesus, we honor you today. We glorify you. We bring you the praise and honor that you deserve. We welcome you into this place just as that crowd welcomed you into Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago, declaring, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we declare you blessed today. Blessed by our words, blessed by our actions, blessed by our lifestyles, blessed by our worship of you today. You and you alone are worthy of our praise. And we center ourselves on you. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus. You are the beginner and the finisher of our faith. And as we come into this week, this week that represents the center point of our faith in you, what you accomplished on the cross, what you endured, what you faced, what you experienced. Serve the purpose of saving us, redeeming us, setting us free, free from our sin, free from our failures, free freedom from shame, from the stain and guilt of our bad choices, of our that right from the beginning seemed to be nothing but falling short of your glory, short of the standard that you intended for us to have. We acknowledge today that just as your scripture tells us, for the wages of sin is death. It was it was our payment, is what we were due. It, it was our wage. It's what we were owed. Yet you walked out. You walked out that payment for us. You accomplished receiving that penalty upon yourself. John the Baptist had declared it with his own lips when, when he said, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is who you were and what you did. 
And so we have joy on our lips today. We have joy in our hearts today. We declare your glory today because of you, the Lamb of God, have taken away the sin, our sin, our choices, our failures. We have confessed them to you and you have redeemed them and you have restored us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. So we walk into this week with all of that reality at the forefront of our hearts and our minds. Today we choose to dig into your word, open up our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you want to say to us today. May we not just be hearers of your word, but doers. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we all prayed and everybody said, man, you may be seated. As you're doing so, I want to invite our ushers to join me up front as we prepare to continue our worship through our giving. Jesus, you are our provider. Thank you for the provision that has come and thank you for the provision that is coming Take what we have to offer you today, use it, bless it, multiply it, accomplish your kingdom purposes with it, build your church across the globe with it, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Heal my heart and make it It's amazing to consider that for 2,000 years, the church has been celebrating him just like that. Every Sunday, 
past uh, Palm Sunday, for 2,000 years, the church has been glorifying Him that way, welcoming Him and honoring Him as, as King. It is Passion Week, so <clears throat> we've got a number of things in store for this next weekend, and I just want to talk through a few of them because I want to make sure that you are ready for them. Friday night, Good Friday, for 11 years now, I believe, we have come together and we have walked through a Passover meal. Just like the disciples and Jesus did at the Last Supper, we walk all the way through that. And, and, and it's, I believe it's powerful, it's, it's profound, it's very insightful. It, it allows us to experience what they experienced and see how Jesus fulfills so much of that. There is a lot of organization that has to be done to be ready for that. And we need to know how many of you are coming to that on Friday night. So what I want to do now is I, I want to actually ask you to get your phones out. And you're going to text me. My number's coming up on the screen here. And you're going to text me your three things, all right? You're going to text me your family name. How many in your family are coming and what you're bringing for the potluck dinner, all right? If you're planning on coming this Friday night, I just would welcome you to do that right now. That way you don't forget. We can just do this real quick right here in the moment. Texting me at this number, your family name, how many in your family are coming, and what you're going to bring for the potlucks in the midst of our Seder meal. You don't need to text me this, but I'm instructing you that what you do need to bring along with your potluck food is you need to bring enough juice for you and your family to have four cups. And that's part of the process of the Seder meal. We go through the four cups of the Passover, and you'll want to make sure that you have enough juice for your family to do four cups, okay? Everybody understand, and my phone is buzzing, thank you for that, appreciate that. That's Friday night. Saturday morning, I guess my sound is on, not on my buzzing, but now I'm beeping. Saturday morning, our annual Easter egg hunt, it is um, one of the significant ways that we connect with our community every year. We have people that come to our Easter egg hunt every year that that haven't joined us for church. It's a really important outreach opportunity. Um, the way we have it set up, it, it's great. It's well organized. Kids have a great time. That functions from 10 to 12 noon Saturday morning. We don't need you to sign up if you're bringing your kids, but we do need helpers. We do need plenty of people that can um, that can come and help us hide eggs. Help us, uh, we have several tables, redemption tables, redemption centers is what we call them. Um, we I don't know 
Sarah, how many people do you think we need Saturday morning? 10, 10, 10 to 12, maybe 15 people. If you're available to help serve that morning, here's what we want you to do. There is a sign-up sheet out the back door at the Welcome Center. Just please put your name up. Actually, it's, it's on a table right in the corner, an Easter egg hunt table. You'll see that. Um, we'd love for you to do that. And if you can bring in sometime during the week uh, Easter candy or maybe some trinkets, toys, whatever, prize giveaways, if you'd like to donate any items like that, we just need them by Saturday morning. You can drop them off anytime this week. It would be wonderful. Um, the more stuff that we have to give away to kids, the better. Parents just love going home with a bunch of candy on Saturday. It's one of our favorite things, right? But it's just the, the more that we can bless our children, the more that we awaken them to the joy of Jesus, the more they become hungry to know him and accept him as Savior. That's Saturday morning. Sunday morning, our Easter celebration is going to be significant. We have Scott Stearman doing a live sculpture during our worship and preaching time. Um, I'm not going to give away what he's doing, but you will be surprised by it. So whatever assumptions you have in mind, just know that you're wrong, okay? Just know that you're wrong. It's something you won't want to miss. And um, here's the promise I'm going to make you. I promise that we are going to have a presentation that morning that's going to be high impact and it's going to really drive home the gospel message for the hurting, for the lost. It's an opportunity to really win people to Jesus. I'm hoping that you have been praying about who you might bring with you Easter Sunday. It's really the, one of the main Sundays a year that non-church people are very open to attending church. There, there's just something about Easter that will draw in the unchurched. I'm making a promise to you that it will have high impact and it will speak clearly to them. All I'm asking of you is that you would consider and you will walk out who, who it is that needs to be here with you Easter Sunday morning. When we had our one-year anniversary birthday party thing, everybody that was here received a packet of goodies. Inside of that packet were, were three little cards, invitation cards. Our hope was that each person would hand three of those out. Um, I've, I want you to know that I've already walked this out, and I've got three families coming Sunday that, that need to be here. They don't, they're, they're not inside of, of the fellowship at all, and they need Jesus in their lives. So I'm doing that as well, and I, I hope you will consider to do that. And I want you to know we're going to set up 400. We're going to set up every chair that we have in this building in this room. We're going to prepare 
for 400 to 450 people sitting in here next Sunday to be able to hear and experience the gospel of Jesus. But there will be a lot of empty seats if we don't do our part this week and invite our neighbors, our friends, our family members who, who really need to be here. I want to say a prayer over you for, for that purpose. Jesus, this is not about us being great. This is not about making some kind of declaration that our church is great. This is about declaring that you are great. And our heart's desire is that our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, our co-workers, those that, that aren't walking with you will experience that reality next week. So over the next seven days, I'm asking Jesus, I'm asking Holy Spirit that you will move upon us as we're going through our week, as we're interacting with folks, that you, you will highlight, you will reveal to us who it is that we can reach out to you, that we, that we can invite. We can invite them into this space for the purpose of encountering you. And I thank you for how you're going to answer that prayer throughout this week. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Gospel of John, chapter 18. One of the challenging things about the, um, what we know, what we come to know as Passion Week, is there, there is... There's only two Sundays. You got Palm Sunday and you have Easter Sunday. And there are 20 different stories that happen between those two things. And it can be quite a challenging as a, as a pastor to know how to get to all of that. How, how to, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you are assuming that on a day like today, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry Though we've worshipped inside of that reality, today we're not going to read through that story. We're actually going to read through the Garden of Gethsemane story. John chapter 18, starting right at verse 1, and let me put my eyes on here. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley on the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Let's just pause there for a moment. We have, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke offer up this story in, in, in a very similar way to one another, and, and John brings in a whole different level to what is happening here. But I do want to try to paint the picture of what his followers, what he and his followers are experiencing on this night. So you got to back up to the Passover meal in the upper room. You know, the Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper, that event. They are, 
They, they, they have walked through this Seder meal, a very orderly, you say a specific thing at a specific time in a specific way. They've gone all the way through this, and it's something they've done every year of their lives, and all of the generations, all the way back to the days of Moses, have, have been doing this theoretically. <clears throat> they wrapped up the Passover meal. In fact, um, I, I think it's Luke that says, or it might be Mark, Mark says, um, they sung a hymn, and then they departed. They, they leave the upper room, and, and they, they move towards the Garden of Gethsemane. John, for, for three chapters, 14, 15, 16, 17, I guess that's four chapters. For four chapters, he's in full dialogue with the disciples. He knows where they're heading. They have no idea. He knows that, that these, are, these are the last words that he's going to be saying to them prior to his suffering. That in just a matter of hours, they're going to scatter. In just a matter of hours, they're going to go from boldly following him around to really most of them abandoning him. One of them denying him. One of them betraying him. <clears throat> this group of people that have been following him, are it's going to radically change in just a matter of hours. He knows this. This is where they're heading. They have no idea. Even though he's been warning them, speaking of it, hinting at it, they just, they have no idea. So he's got this frame of time, and he's just pouring himself into them. At one point, they're, they're walking through um, grapevines. Is that an orchard? What do you call that? Vineyard, vineyard, vineyard. Walking through a vineyard. And you can, you can imagine him turning to them and saying, I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. Remain in me. Understand that, that my father is the gardener. He's at work in this. You are involved in this. If you understand that I'm the vine, I'm going to be your source. And as I am resourcing you, you, you will bear much fruit. That's the, that's the goal. We want you to bear much fruit. This is the kind of stuff he's talking to them about as, and, you, and I believe you find that in John 14. And they're moving towards the Garden of Gethsemane. The way John says it here in this first verse, it says that when he had finished praying, and, and he's referring to basically chapter 16, well, m most of chapter 17 is a prayer. So perhaps he was saying a prayer on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Maybe this prayer was said while in the Garden of Gethsemane. But as John puts it, he has just finished this prayer. This prayer about um, that he would be glorified. He's praying for his disciples, that he won't lose any of them, except for the one that is destined to destruction, which is Judas, of course. And then you know what? He prays for us. I don't know if you realize that. I, listen, I just want to peek at it. I don't think we'll have it on the screen, but let me, just, let me just read this for you. This is the end of chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples, the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That is us. I mean, consider that as he's heading to the cross, he has you on his mind. As he's heading to the cross, he has me on his mind. I pray for those who will believe me through their message that, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. They find their way through the vineyard into the Garden of Gethsemane. Even though it doesn't say Garden of Gethsemane in John's version, we find that in Mark's version. We know that this is the garden they went to. The Garden uh, of Gethsemane, the word literally means the place where they trample grapes. The, the place where they stomp the grapes. This is the wine press area. Or the name, it refers to that. So as you're moving out of the vineyard, as you're moving through the vineyard, and you, you come into the Garden of Gethsemane, apparently this was, this was where the grape stomping would take place in, in, as they're making their wine. But this is where they went often. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. The other three versions explain something that John does not talk about. Jesus goes into prayer mode. He invites Peter, James, and John apart from the rest of the group. They walk a distance, and he asks Peter, James, and John, pray with me. Pray with me. He separates himself from them. So the group is over here. Peter, James, and John are here, and Jesus separates himself. And as we have come to know, the disciples are just they can't keep their eyes open. They're just falling asleep, falling asleep. And Jesus' prayer, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way to let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. It's interesting that they've just finished Passover meal where they've walked through the four cups of the Passover. 
And it was at the third cup that Jesus raised the cup up and he said, this is now my, my blood poured out for you. Take and drink this in remembrance of me. He just made that declaration. They went from there. They passed through a vineyard where he's talking about grapes and, and, and the picture of him being the vine and us being the branches. They've just walked into the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where they stomped the grapes, and on his lips still is the imagery of the Passover. If there's any way that this cup could pass, if there's any other way to accomplish this, but yet not my will, but your will be done. And, and we see in, inside of this the fullness of Jesus' humanity. Most of the time, most of the time we talk about Jesus' divinity, and rightfully so. But we need to remember that Jesus was fully human as well. It is profoundly complex that he can be fully divine and fully human all at the same time, but I'm telling you that that was true. And I believe that inside of this moment, we see the cries of his humanity. If there's, if there's any other possible way of accomplishing redemption, of accomplishing salvation, of redeeming humanity, there's any other way, because he knows what he's heading into. He knows the anguish and the torture and the misery and the suffering that, that he's heading straight into. And his humanity is crying out, no, this, if there's any other way. And yet, in the midst of that, he says, but you know what? Not, not my will. I surrender my humanness even to your will in, in this matter. Think for a moment about the divine perspective here. The human perspective. These guys have no idea what's going on, what's about to happen. And yet the divine perspective is that all of history, all of history has been leading to this moment. All of history hinges on this time. This was why he was born. This, this was why the Christmas story even existed. This is why he crammed himself into flesh as John chapter 1 says, the whole point of him becoming human was for this. Even prior to his birth, the Trinity had been looking toward and working towards this moment, this set of circumstances. Finally, the work will be accomplished. Finally, we can restore humanity. We can redeem this broken thing called humanity and overcome sin and death. 
but what it was going to require. Verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? They have shown up onto the scene. With the intent of arresting Jesus and and even prepared for a fight. And in fact, Peter steps in just, you know, being very much like Peter. He's, he's the one that's reactive. And he grabs a sword and, and, he, and he starts to fight. He goes into defense mode. Jesus stops all that. That's how some of the other gospels are painting the scene. But this conversation, the way John, what the part that John describes, is just very fascinating to me. He, Jesus steps out there and he says, all right, who do you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. imagine the power of his words. So much power of his words that when he simply says the words, I am he, the detachment of people that have come to arrest him ready for war are knocked backwards onto the ground. But I think there's a really good explanation of this. And there's something that's happening here that that really our, our new international version doesn't quite grab here. When you look up the Greek or the Aramaic as, as he speaks, when you look that up, I want you to know that he actually doesn't say, I am he. What he says is, I am. The he should be like in talent italics for us but really it shouldn't even exist at all who are you looking for jesus of nazareth i am boom they fall see you should recognize that you should recognize that phrase because that phrase belongs to jehovah That phrase belongs to the God, the creating God of all the universe. The God that that met up with Abraham, the God that that met up with Isaac and Jacob, the the God that met up with Moses, the God that spoke to Moses, the God that met Moses at the burning bush. And when Moses said, well, who am I? When I go back to my people who are in full captivity 
when I go back to them after all these years, who am I to say that, that has sent me? And the answer is, I am. This is the, the definitive name of Israel's God. It's the name that they defend. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. Boom! They just fall when he says that. You know, the last time he said that, he, he was in an argument with them. This is the second time Jesus has referred to himself with this title. The last time he used this title, he was in an argument with the Jews about who their father was and who his father was. And they're like, well, our father is Abraham. He's like, well, no, if Abraham were your father, you would believe in me just as he believed in me. And they're like, how can you, how can you say that Abraham believed in you? He's, his, his life ended long ago. And Jesus said, before Abraham, I am. Boom. And it was like this blasphemous moment. They couldn't believe that he had just used that phrase for himself. Essentially declaring himself divine. And it was so blasphemous, that's, that was... And he was able to sneak out of the crowd because his time had not yet come. But here it is. It is his time now. And the Jews have come to arrest him. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. They just are laid out by this declaration once again. You see that the Seder meal, the Passover meal, half of it is reflecting upon Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. Half, half of the experience of the Seder meal is reflecting upon Moses' story. It's just, it's really cool to see how all of these things, one by one, are, are tying together. This, this, this whole night, starting with, with the Passover meal, walking through, through the grapes, walking into the, the, the wine press place, Gethsemane, even to the point where his dialogue with, with his enemies is a declaration of the I am. I am, Jesus said. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I, I told you that I am. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. And this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. And Jesus is arrested. The story of redemption unfolds inside of the reality of the story of Exodus. The story of Israel being delivered from captivity foreshadows everything we understand about 
Jesus redeeming all of humanity. Our deliverance. from captivity. Our deliverance is transformational. It's not just life-saving, it's life-changing. These people that were walking with Jesus through all of this, they had no idea At the point that Jesus is arrested, they just, they scatter. A few of them following way behind as Jesus is drugged to a, a trial and, and there's several things that happen over a number of hours as he is, as he's heading towards this moment where he's, face-to-face with Pilate, the one who will ultimately order his death. There are a few that are hanging around in the crowd, but most have just scattered. Everything that they, they, they thought was happening, the trajectory of their lives that, that they saw before them, they, they, to the point that they were arguing about who was going to sit on the right side of Jesus and on the left side of they have visions of grandeur in mind in regards to where they are headed and suddenly it's over Jesus turns their understanding of the kingdom completely upside down you want to be the greatest Move yourself to the lowest position and serve one another. Transformational. All of the events of the Passion Week, everything that happens over the next eight days in Scripture, seven days in Scripture, All of human history was heading right towards it. And in the midst of that massive divine plan, Jesus had us on his heart and his mind. I pray for those who will believe in me because of these. That they will be one with me. That they will be one with me just as you and I are one with one another. That is the heart of Messiah. Being poured out for you and I. Jesus We are humbled in a way that is hard to explain.
in the midst of everything that you were facing and in the midst of having full knowledge of what you were heading into when everybody else around you knew nothing of what was about to happen. You had the fullest fullness of knowledge of what you were heading into. And even in the midst of all that, you, you have us on your mind. There's just something about that that is incredible and, it's, and, and, and incredibly hard to fathom. But I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, that you will confirm in our hearts and our minds that that is true. No matter how long we have been walking with you, knowing you, worshiping you, whether it's been our lifetime or today was the first day. Confirm in our hearts and our minds that, that, that the depth of that, the profundity, the profoundness of that will resonate in our hearts and our minds that that is absolutely true. You had us in your heart and your mind. Because when we think about your suffering on the cross, when we, when we think about you saying it is finished, it's pretty, it seems easier for us to think big picture, oh, <clears throat> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's, there's this grand picture with your arms spread wide to the right and to the left <coughs> of saving the world. But when we individualize it right now in this moment, when it's our face that you're looking at, when it's our ears that you are speaking to, when it's our circumstances that you are delving into, when it's me face-to-face with you and you say to me, I had you on my mind, there is something that is overwhelming and humbling. And I don't want to overlook it. And I don't want to take it for granted. I want to let it transform me. I want to let it change me. I want to allow this passion of yours for me to make me more like you. And as I'm saying those words, praying that very same thing for all of us that are listening. I want to invite our prayer team 
as you come and move in, into place, j- just, just to be prepared. Maybe there's someone here today that there's, there's just a great need in your life. You, you, need some, you need to spend some time in prayer today. Maybe there's circumstances that are happening. Maybe you just need heart preparation as we walk into the weeks, the the, the days, the events of Passion Week. Maybe you want to know this Jesus that we've been talking about today. If that's your need today, there are some folks here on these front rows and the the ends here that would love to pray with you. Just we're just going to sit here in reflective silence for a few moments and anyone that wants to respond that way, please feel free to come forward and. These folks would love to pray with you, the rest of us are just asking that. You'll reflect on, allow yourself to see and hear Jesus saying to you. This prayer. I pray also for those who believe, who believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. (coughs) And that I myself may be in them. Thank you, Jesus, for how that is our reality. You are in us. Changing us reshaping us, reforming us, transforming us, renewing us. We are one with you. We are yours and you are ours. And we honor you with our lives. In the powerful name Of Jesus, we all pray. Amen. Will you stand with me?
I'm going to say a blessing. I just want to remind you <clears throat> all the things that are happening this coming weekend. If if you didn't text me and you wanted to sign up, there's a Passover meal sign-up sheet. There's also an Easter egg sign-up sheet. And I'm praying that you will take seriously the opportunity to invite some who need to hear about Jesus this coming Sunday. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May he fill you with his peace and his presence throughout the days ahead. Have an amazing week. I hope to see you Friday night. God bless.